So Shahid, have you have you finished uh, Super Mario Run yet? <laughs> I know you. I've been I've been trying to get in touch with you, and you didn't reply to my messages because you you were playing Mario Run. Yeah, you've become impossible to get a hold of. Oh man, what can I say? <laughs> well, of course I downloaded it uh, yeah. straight away. Yeah, and you know one of my pet peeves of just about any video game is how smoothly it lets me get into the experience mm-hmm. and actually for many video games it's not a smooth experience you know yeah. from yeah. from the beginning of the purchase to the point where you are ah sat down and playing the game at last it is a tedious progress uh, process for so many games and it was disappointing for me that mario uh, you know super mario run on ios was not massively different but that's just me you know that's just my pet peeve and i got into it and started playing and thought you know what this feels nice they've done a good job on the control yeah uh it looks great it sounds great it does it really does it sounds great that's that's very that's very true yeah yeah which that. which is not easy to do you know um particularly with something like mario which lives or dies on its responsiveness and it does feel responsive i did play through the first world very quickly indeed and then it prompted me to buy and i thought you know what i won't not because i don't think it's worth it i think it's totally worth it whatever they're asking for i don't know what it is i guess you know how much they're asking for but um whatever it is i I reckon it will be worth it and if you're a fan of mario yeah we we know we're, we're i was Joking, by the way, Shade has not really finished Mario. <laughs> we talked about this before. We've been over this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a, at least a couple of episodes in our um, archive of the discussion on Mario and kind of the legacy of Mario and Nintendo. I feel like I'm on the opposite end of Shahid. Uh, I love Mario, I, and, I, and I wish there's going to be Mario games forever. And I feel like Mario ran on on the iPhone. I played for like two minutes. I just basically did two stages uh, just to get out of the tutorial. And I feel like it, it, it it's a Mario game in the style of an endless endless runner. It's not an endless runner with just the Mario branding. Because I saw some people saying, "Well, it's just an iPhone game with the Mario characters." You can see the Nintendo style, the Nintendo level design you know the way that they structure levels and kind of puzzles and secrets throughout a stage it doesn't feel like a cheap iphone game with just mario thrown on top it it is quality work but it goes back to the discussion whether you want to play mario games or not and we're gonna play this game uh i know that mike is playing this game he's not here with us because he's um he's been um basically he was moving you know houses and he got caught. Um, basically, one of the IKEA furniture pieces fell down, and Mike was below that, so he's been unable to move. This is quite tragic, but he's fine. He's just trapped by his own furniture, and he's playing Super Mario Run. Yeah, that that IKEA furniture wouldn't happen to be a very comfortable no, no. lounge <laughs> chair by any chance, would it? Where 
where he's is he's re- trapped um, <laughs> on on the comfortable cushions playing <laughs> Super Mario Run because it happens to be release day, right? Well, <laughs> sounds a little we convenient. We wish you all the best, Mike, and uh, well, we will be playing this game, but I I feel like it's too early to comment. What I want to do, Shade, because this is gonna be our last show of 2016. It's been quite an eventful year in, I guess, all aspects of human life, whether it's politics or news or entertainment, and we're going to talk about video games. And I thought, because the year, uh, you know, the end of the year is approaching, why don't we choose some big takeaway themes, if you will, some of the big ideas that we discussed this year, and let's talk about those. Yeah? Sounds and great. And I thought, the, possibly the... the, the the aspect of the, the video game industry that we talked about the most this year, whether it's because of you know companies or your own work, is VR. And the idea of VR that is starting to become mainstream and that you know developers are making more and more VR games. And we're seeing with Sony and the PlayStation VR, we're seeing sort of the, 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 the first steps in the consumer world of VR. I mean, I bought a PlayStation VR unit. Uh, Mike has one, you have one. I demoed the PlayStation VR to my friends. And it feels like the beginning of a, of a new age for, age for the, the, the idea of VR. What do you think VR, not just for Sony, but for any company, has been like in 2016? The industry has drawn a deep breath because, as you say, the backdrop of the year has been tumultuous in many respects. There's been economic uncertainty, and any time that happens, that affects every industry. Video games is not excluded from this. And so the industry thrives on change, on, mm. on innovation, and VR is one area where people simply didn't know how the consumers or the players would respond. And I think it's still too early to say. It's very early days. You know, the, the headsets, certainly the, the top-end headsets from the likes of PlayStation, from Oculus, from, um, you know, including the Vive as well at, mm-hmm. at the highest end, have only just started to make their way into the hands of buyers yeah. uh, and onto the heads of buyers and there's not really a huge amount of software available just yet and so I, I think it's too early to judge it though given the way the media works nowadays there is a very compressed news cycle and so things are hyped up way too much and then they're brought crashing down way too hard mm. we live in an age of extremes and so I'm going to yeah. I'm going to ignore the traditional commentators and just try and give a bit more of a rounded view on this. VR has a very promising future. There is a qualitative step change between traditional gaming and VR gaming. I'm also not going to go into VR's application outside of video games. Let's just stick to video games. Yeah. The, the beauty of VR is the qualitative difference between acting out a game that is being played out on a large screen in front of you and then actually being in the world and feeling the feelings that you would feel as if 
actions were happening to you and you were causing some of those actions in that world. That entire game feedback cycle has suddenly become a lot more personal and visceral in a way that very many people have not been able to prepare themselves for yet. We've had a lot of potential players initially skeptical about VR, and that's fine. You know, that's it's absolutely fine to be skeptical about new technology because how often have we been hyped to the gills about something only to be brought crashing down to earth later? So it's yeah. right that people are skeptical, but I found in my experience that just about anybody who I had this conversation with came back to the same conclusion that once you've tried it, it's very hard to go back uh, and not feel a sense of, well, you know what, that VR thing really is the future. I've had people put on the headset who were sceptical or who were ambivalent, who simply didn't have the information and therefore didn't really have the interest. They've put on the headset and I've watched them transformed. And I, I, when I say transformed, I mean not in a hyperbolic sense. I mean literally transformed. The experience they've had has been one of shock. Oh, my God, I, I get it now. And that has been the biggest problem of VR. How do you convey that profound experiential difference to people without getting them to try a headset on? So I feel that it will be a slow burn, that it will take time to build. Clearly, technology is in its very early stages because all that's happened now is that presence is achievable through high enough frame rates. But the cost of that presence is... You need high-power components. You need excellent optics. The cables are plentiful and heavy. There are sensors all over the place, you know. So because of those reasons, it's not a casual experience yet. Yes, yeah. you could talk about the Gear VR experience. You could talk about the Google Daydream experience. But they are limited experiences compared to the first three contenders at the high end um, that I mentioned at the beginning of this section. So I think... It's a slow burn. I think the people who do try it do, do feel a profound step change in the nature of experience, not just, um, not just the technology side, but the experience side. That, for me, is the important thing. Yes, of course, it's the latest cool technological um, wave, but it's more than that. It is an enormous experiential difference. And when people experience that, and as the technology gets better, the resolution improves, the latency decreases, the controller accuracy improves, the number of widgets and gadgets you need to plug together to make it all work seamlessly reduces. You know, the, the main thing is the cables go away, the headsets become lighter, you know, all of that stuff. The audio gets better. Uh, there's more uh, high-quality haptic feedback and so on. Yeah. Then... It, it's just going to start to uh, accelerate. Take-up is going to accelerate. Interest is going to accelerate. The games are going to be there. And it's going to be a brave new world. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of... You, you spoke about um, the high-end requirements. And we, we saw this year the VR device that quite possibly reached the largest audience of... In theory, almost uh, 50 million units, PlayStation 4s, have been sold to date. And with the PlayStation VR, it was Sony's opportunity to say, we are entering the VR stage of our, of our you know, video game history, and we have uh, an easy, relatively easy, to set up device with a large install base, which, of course, is by no means as large as the PC, 
but it you know it, it can reach more people who have no time or expertise to set up VR on a PC. Do you think that Sony was able to seize this opportunity to say well, this is the baseline for VR and we're bringing it to consoles? Or do you think that should have been maybe uh, they should have waited more, they should have you know shipped something that didn't use the move controllers, for example? Because we're seeing, you know, the Oculus especially up in the the sort of the standard in terms of screen quality and now with the Oculus touch controllers in terms of immersion in the in the VR experience. Do you think that Sony um, did the bare minimum work? Or do you think that even if the Oculus is still a superior piece of hardware, especially with the Oculus touch controllers, do you think that Sony did the right thing in, in, in bringing the PSVR as it is to consumers this year? I think they absolutely did the right thing bringing it out this year. And I'm I'm doing my best not to transmit any personal bias. It has now been over a year since I left PlayStation. And although I have a great deal of fondness for the company, I, I'm setting that aside. And I think from a strategic perspective, I think it was important for them to release this year. Because if they did not have an entry at the beginning might become harder next year as news about the other hardware started to filter through because let's face it when when you use a rift with the oculus touch controllers it is a better experience because you are more immersed those controllers are fabulous but they're they come at a cost you know yep. they're, they're 300 bucks a pair and you when you use them you understand why they are very precise. They track beautifully. So if PlayStation hadn't had a contender in the space that could reach the mainstream, then I think it would have been very hard for them to come out next year unless they also had something as good as the touch controllers to accompany the head-mounted device. So for those reasons, I think it's very important that they, they came out this year. You know, I think people get that there are differences in experience between the different devices. And I think it's acceptable for all players that those differences exist because it's a new technology. And because of that, there are going to be a bunch of early adopters who love to play with the top end. You know, me as a developer, it's really important for me to see the spread so that I know what the majority of players have access to which for the three devices right now is PSVR. You know, it's it's going to be way out in the lead sales-wise. But also see where VR is heading, because it's going to accelerate. You know, the tech is going to get better. The experiences are going to improve. And so I would imagine that when the next iteration of PSVR comes out, that there'll be a lot of quality improvements, but that they would have set the ground with their existing customer base with hardware that is accessible and appealing and they are no longer intimidated by the idea you know their fans and players are not intimidated by the idea of wearing uh, an HMD uh, and and holding controllers in their hand mm. because they they've had that experience for a long time with the hands anyway right the, as you say the move controllers have been around a very long time yeah. and I and I hope <laughs> they go away soon <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to be replaced by something a hell of a lot better so that's the cool thing. There is that continuity with those. You know, they have the camera. People are used to the camera. They've had the PlayStation camera before. Uh, they 
they introduced that with the launch of PS4 and people used it for uh, streaming and sharing and, and then eventually Twitch and so on. And people were familiar with the motion controls. No, I don't think anyone's particularly fond of them, but they knew how to use them. So the only thing they had to do really was to bring this um, head-mounted device out. And there you go. You know, you've, you've stealth launched an exciting new platform effectively, but you've done it almost in the style of an accessory. And you've also done it in a year where you've released the next level of hardware, that whole incremental hardware mm -hmm. story that we've covered a few times. Mm -hmm. I think it was the right thing to do, but mainly for strategic purposes, not for technology purposes. Yeah. So you think next year we're going to continue seeing this rollout of PlayStation VR games and more uh, VR games on PC. Do you think we're going to see more mobile VR, uh, like the, the, the headsets that use a smartphone? Or do you think that's sort of a temporary solution from companies that don't really have a VR product. Now, I think mobile VR is very important. Mm. In the end, I guess the idea is that all VR will be extremely accessible. And so there are two vectors. There is a high technology vector, which um, has got good support. And then there is a mobile vector. And the mobile vector is much more about accessibility and freedom than it is about power and immersion. So, you know, you could easily do this on, on a diagram, I guess. But to describe it verbally, it is really that simple. You have accessibility and then you have immersion. And the price you pay for immersion is a lack of mobility. And the price you pay for uh, the freedom is a lack of power and immersion. Yeah. So there is ample space for both. I do feel though that for the people who are making software people who are making games they're going to make more money on the higher powered stuff because we're at the early adopter stage the the experiences and the games that they'll get on mobile will be very hard for developers to make money unless they're being funded by platforms there i don't think it's easy to make money on you know the higher power devices yet but that's only a matter of time you know it's just a matter of time and an install base when I went to the Valve conference in Seattle a couple of months back, they said that they'd had a few titles that had reached a million dollars US in revenue, oh, nice. which is stunning. Yeah. Stunning. I did not expect to hear that. So I would imagine those titles are very few and far between, but that's only going to improve given how committed. Maybe they're you know? really expensive titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. So tell me, tell me before before I talk about Nintendo, we've talked about VR for consumers. What's the if you can tell us what's the the status of your VR development? What, what kind of what, what stage are you at right now? I'm at a very exciting stage. I have to say, yesterday I met with a prospective client. Oh, and fancy. I, who I've been <laughs> I've been in discussions with them for some time about my my game which has been undergoing several revisions to try and get the best quality vr mm. specific experience i can get you know i i've discarded any notion of making a game that works on anything other than vr mm. and we talked about that as well so this is the idea was here i am with a blank slate can i do something that feels amazing in vr feels a lot different in vr to anything else and 
that if you try to do it in a standard 2D game, you really, you know, you really would lose most of the impact and effect. And I wanted to introduce some mechanics that work well in VR and some sandbox elements that work well in VR. And yesterday's meeting went phenomenally well, phenomenally well, way better than I expected. And for the first time in the year that I'd been working on my own in the shed, I I had the feeling that I wasn't an imposter after <laughs> all, uh, which is very nice. I have to say, I, I got an email from this prospect today um, and it was very sweet. I was very, very surprised to read this email. Um, you know, I've had a lot of doubts about whether I can still do this. And this person who I told about my history and so on, and who knows a bit about my history, said that um, you haven't lost it, <laughs> which was nice. really nice. That's good to, nice hear, to hear after, after a, a year of work. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> am I doing anything that's worth it at all? <laughs> so right. that, that's great news, man. That, that's really great news. I'm very excited. So I hope to be building a team to make this game mm. Uh, in the new year and as soon as I can talk more about it I will you know you know what I'm like right I'm dying to talk about it I'd love to say more but it's not the right time you you avoided to talk about games when you were on the on the publishing side now you're actually making games still not talking about them so, <laughs> so <laughs> teasing I mean, like whether always you're a right developer or a publisher you know the end product is always the same so you're not talking about games well well, well <laughs> i guess we're, we're gonna I'm we're gonna sorry. it's fine it's fine um let's switch gears talk about nintendo so there's this idea that Nintendo is coming back. Um, that they were approaching the the long-awaited Nintendo comeback, and I feel like these there's this idea um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the Wii U has been commercially speaking a failure. We can all agree. There's some great games on the Wii U, and it's a it's a great console, honestly, as a Nintendo fan. And there's a couple of great games on it, and I and I still play you know some Nintendo games on the Wii U when I can. But we can all agree that even Nintendo thinks that you know the Wii U didn't go as well as we as they planned, and you know it's time for another console. But there's also the fact that Nintendo's been sort of I would say aggressive in in, in moving out of their comfort zone and doing new things. Um, we've seen first the partnership with Dina, which is this Japanese uh, software company. They're doing a new online infrastructure. They're doing a new console, which is a whole new concept of the Nintendo Switch, a hybrid console. They're doing iPhone games. Um, they did the first iPhone app called Mitomo to interact with me characters in a social environment. And they just released Super Mario Run on the iPhone. And they're going to do more games in, on, the, on the iPhone, including Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem. And it, there's the general feeling that Nintendo is sort of pushing on different sides of things they never did before or things they did badly before and they want to do better. And it there's the, the... I get the feeling, at least, that they're hungry for improvements, that they, they want to come back. And we see this, you know, with Shigeru Miyamoto and Bill Trinan at an Apple event, which, you know, even if you ask me a couple of years ago, I would have said that, that that's insane, doesn't make any sense. Or you can see the PR tour that Miyamoto did to show off Super Mario Run. You can see Nintendo showing off a console 
coming in March, going on TV, you know, in, in the United States. The there's the 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 fact that Nintendo knows that they did badly and they need to do better. Now I wonder is all this a setup for success? Or do we think that no matter how much they push, they can never be completely free from the past and therefore they can never be ready for the future? That's the big question. Um, Do you think, Shahid, that the things Nintendo has done this year, sort of as a setup for the Nintendo Switch, do you think it's going to be enough or... Do you think they're still going to be stuck with the same audience, with the same people that are going to buy Nintendo consoles no matter what? You know, if they are just stuck with the people who buy Nintendo, that's not such a bad thing. Right. Though I suspect their um, fear is that they lost a lot of their customers when they moved from Wii to Wii U because the product caused confusion. As you say, it wasn't a bad product. It just caused confusion. And because of that, they were unable to reach all of their um, target customers. So I think what we're seeing this year is a much more bold Nintendo, a much more um, ecology-aware Nintendo. They are trying to understand what's going on in the world around them. and, And they are making a number of moves to inhabit spaces that they would normally feel uncomfortable in and they're doing it in a big way it's not just a toe in the water you look Mm -hmm. at super mario run and it's not just a toe in the water it it appears on first impression apart from the opening but you know never will forget that the core (laughs) the core experience feels like a really good quality ios game you know i wouldn't say it's a groundbreaker but that doesn't matter I haven't played the whole thing yet. It might be that it's absolutely amazing, and I hope it is. And uh, you're right, you know, the the first uh, three levels, I found my my biggest feeling playing those first three levels was, oh, I want to go back and have a look what goes on there, you know? It's almost like the infinite runner aspect kind of made me even more keen to explore areas that I was missing, and it was only down to my lack of ability that, I was not able to explore them the first time round. So in terms of replayability, I suspect it's going to be a great game. But going back to the original point, I think this is a brave Nintendo becoming ecologically aware, making bold and decisive steps in a number of areas, partly to hedge bets, but also because they think it's sensible to do that in a world that is much more connected than it ever was before. And therefore, Nintendo needs to be more connected than it ever was before. I also think that... With the Switch, that's just a masterstroke of Nintendo understanding that they cannot compete in the areas that the other console manufacturers are competing, and that it would be fruitless for them to pretend that they were doing that, and therefore to find a direction of their own the way they did so decisively in the Wii generation. They found a direction of their own, and they cleaned up. And then the other, and, and I, I hope they do, you know, because I think it's a fabulous device. I'm really excited by it, and I am definitely going to get one. And as I said, the thing that really appealed to me when we first started discussing the Switch, when we were calling it the uh, NX, was 
the idea of two people being able to play on the same device at the same time, local co-op, out of the box. I just think it's a killer idea whose time has come again, and I think it will be very, very good in 2017. So the uh, the other thing that I guess it's worth talking about is heritage. Is Nintendo likely to be a company that is forever mired in the past? Mm-hmm. Well, is that such a bad thing? Um, it can be. You know, I've argued, I think, probably a little too much that for Nintendo to be really successful, they need to make Mario more of a symbol and an icon um- than a mascot a mascot than the mainstay not because he's rubbish he's he clearly is not i have a love for mario that that goes very deep you know i my my children are kind of like part of that whole thing and yeah you know uh, when i started in the games industry i saw the appearance of mario for the first time and and so on so i have a lot of affection for that character but there comes a point where it's important to do new stuff yes when i look at netflix right Yes, of course, I love Netflix for backing House of Cards. But do I want to watch House of Cards forever? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to watch it forever. You know, if, if they come out with a season 27, will I be watching House of Cards? No. 24 was one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I stopped watching at season 8. I don't care about season 9. And if they make another, I probably won't watch it. I want the new stuff. You know, when when they introduced Breaking Bad, I watched the whole thing end to end and I was delighted when it finished after five seasons. Just a masterpiece. Same with Sopranos. And I think all great entertainment is great because because the lifetime has a definitive end. And it, it, it has to, because, because it's art, it always has to be replenished. You have to have the new, the, the current culture, the milieu that you uh, are, are immersed in needs to throw back at you. New heroes, new heroines, new ideas, new concepts. And Nintendo have always been good at that. It's not like they're not capable of introducing that level of innovation with new characters. But Here's the big but. I think they're most confident about doing that when they have a dominant position in the marketplace. When they are the dominant handheld player, they will introduce stuff like Animal Crossing, which was an absolute masterpiece. You know, when, when, they, when they're dominant in the marketplace, they will introduce innovative new stuff like, you remember the dawn of N64, Blast Core, I think it was, which is just so different and so awesome. Uh, and their backing of GoldenEye, which I think was the biggest... Um, breakthrough in video games in a very very long time and then when the Wii came out they did it again you know they used their mascot characters but in a completely different gameplay setting and then they introduced completely new games as well so I think what this signals is a bold Nintendo and a bold Nintendo is a good Nintendo because I think what that will allow them to do is to have the guts to introduce new IPs because there are very few games companies out there capable of producing the the depth and quality of ip that people love as much as nintendo yeah yeah they 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 do have the new ip with splatoon which came out on the wii u and it's no surprise to me that they're actually gonna do some kind of remaster or remake of splatoon on the switch just to give it more visibility because i don't think enough people you know, either bought a Wii U or bought Splatoon if they already had a, a Wii U. And I think 
some a lot of people actually missed the fact that Nintendo introduced a brand new IP with brand new characters because the the console you know was problematic of course so with the Switch and with Splatoon I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people actually say oh Nintendo has a new set of characters has a new set of games uh, you know th- this new game even if it's not actually new so I guess we're we're going to see my my impression is that. A, a lot of things, I don't know how, how best to put this, but I feel like we're constantly inundated, if you will, by, by, by new stuff, by new. There's, there's new everywhere, every, every second, every minute. Uh, you, you put a link in the, in the show notes. Uh, this is an interesting stat, um, that 40% of all games ever released on Steam came out this year. So in 2016, 40% of all the Steam games ever released, they came out in the past 12 months. That, that's crazy. It's right? insane, that's isn't it? It's insane. Over 4,000 games just this year on Steam. And so th- we're constantly switching our attention to new weather. And look at this in, in the news on social media on the app store in music there's not there, there's so much music released every week if you if you're a spotify or an apple music user you you can see there's hundreds of new releases every every week and this i think there's a common trend here that it's never been easier to create stuff and put it up online whether you're writing a new s- story or producing music or making a video game or whatever you have a recipe blog, you know, can be anything. It's never been easier to create. And the result is we're seeing inputs from everywhere. And I and I, my question for Nintendo, so how does this tie into Nintendo? Is Nintendo the kind of company that can stay afloat in this kind of future or present, I should say? Or... You know, because we see with Sony and Apple and Microsoft, they have built platforms that can sustain the reality that we're in, and that is that we have new material from every corner. And this is why Sony has the PlayStation Store, Microsoft has, you know, they 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 have an online store, Apple has the App Store, Apple Music, Apple News, Google has similar stuff. They're trying to capitalize on the quantity of information by creating infrastructures. And I wonder if Nintendo can live in this kind of ecosystem. Um, can Nintendo be the company that opens up the eShop for all kinds of, of developers? Can Nintendo turn the Switch into you know the kind of console with hundreds of games every month instead of a handful of releases, which is basically what's going on with the Wii U and the 3DS? And I guess the basic question is, are entire internet-based society has changed so much and we have so much stuff going on. Isn't that the kind of company that is going to adapt to this kind of reality? Or do they have some kind of institutionalized tradition of curating, of having fewer games, fewer developers, you know, and a more... I don't want to say limited in the in a, in the negative sense, but more, you know, selected experience. Do you think there's room for this kind of company 
you know, that doesn't have hundreds or 4,000 games released in a year? Or is Nintendo going to change all the way? And if it does, if Nintendo becomes like the others, is that a problem or not? We've talked about this a number of times, and I think most of us struggle with this. Yeah. And we wonder... But I, but I personally yeah, do. <laughs> yeah, most of us struggle with this, you know? We'll never watch all of the stuff in our Netflix queue. Never, I'll ne- never. <laughs> I'll never play all the games in my Steam library. These are games I bought, not just the games that are <laughs> no. in the store. These <laughs> are games me. I bought, you know? <laughs> I will never play them all. I'll never... You know, I, I don't even uh, use all of the apps that I download, that I've paid for. I'm not talking so, about free apps. Also my fault, because I recommend those apps. <laughs> so, is it bad? The question is, is it bad? Yeah. Whatever bad means. Is, is it bad economically? Is it bad creatively to have less gatekeeping? And I would say that the answer to that is no. I've always been profoundly opposed to gatekeeping. Now, is it bad or is in a commercial or creative sense for Nintendo? Well, let's look at it from a commercial sense. If Nintendo decide to be a gatekeeper, it puts enormous pressure on their ability to create content themselves. And in the past, that was not a problem because there was not so much novelty. And if you wanted a Nintendo-style experience, you had to buy a Nintendo console and play a Nintendo game. It was not available anywhere else. So it really is completely down to their ability to create games themselves or to commission trusted partners to do that for them. So that is a commercial argument. Now, even with that, a system improves as a result of software attention and competition. One of the things I I noticed in your fantastic article on living with an iPad Pro for a year was that one of the things you found amazing about the quality of software on iOS was that it would only be possible given that there are hundreds of text editors, hundreds of Uh, ways to do the same thing because that competition and that openness drives developers to continue to improve to add new features of the uh, operating system of the new SDKs and so on so your life as a user of of the iPad has been improved as a direct result of limited gatekeeping on the app store what does that mean for entertainment? Because this is about getting your, your job done, right? Well, the, the problem of entertainment and gatekeeping is that if you do have it open, then yes, competition drives development much more quickly and it increases the rate of adoption of exciting ideas. It's a Darwinian thing, right? You're introducing, I mean, for example, with PlayStation, the idea was that if we open things up, Uh, to independent developers that some will come up with random mutations if you like in other words innovations that are more widely adopted and that did in fact happen and it drove everybody forward some more so than others will that happen with nintendo and if so is that commercially beneficial i think if they don't do it it will be very difficult for them because the the problem is there'll be too much pressure on them they will not be learning from other developers Mm. And they will be utterly reliant on their own ability 
to drive their platform forward. That can only happen with a closed platform if the closed platform is sufficiently different from other platforms. And that is where the switch comes in. The switch is radically different from other platforms in the sense that game experiences have to work from uh, a lean back perspective and from a portable perspective at any time. And you've got, you, you as a developer have got to adjust and adapt to varying play environments. So that does give them a little bit of an advantage, but it still reduces the amount of innovation possible if they continue to be the gatekeeper they've traditionally been. And I think in today's world, with the rapid change in hardware, the limited amount of attention, your ability to switch to something else, the only way that it's possible for you to escape that is by creating a market in which you are the only competitor. You know the monopoly situation. If they yeah. can do that with the switch, they can get. I think they can just about get away with it. If they can't do that with the switch, then I think they're in trouble. That's a great answer. Yeah, I agree. Moving on, and this is the final, I guess, the big topic, the home consoles becoming, uh, I guess, m more like PCs in the sense of we're going to get actual mid-cycle upgrades, not just uh, slim redesigns, but actual upgrades, as we saw with the PlayStation Pro, with the PS4 Pro, and to an extent with the Xbox One S, which introduced uh, 4K output uh, and uh, 4K games and HDR output, but also we're going to see next year with Project Scorpio, which is Microsoft's um, big bet on a more powerful Xbox. And we're seeing this change, I guess, in the industry of to not lose any ground to the advancements of PC gaming. Sony and Microsoft are betting on upgrading your console while maintaining backwards compatibility at this point. Uh, with the baseline, with the standard PS4, with the standard Xbox, you're going to get a better experience on a PlayStation 4 Pro and an Xbox One S or a Project Scorpio next year. But that's also dependent on, you know, whether you have a 4K TV, whether you have HDR uh, output. So it seems like both Sony and Microsoft are sort of preparing for a future where consoles need to be more powerful and where it's just not possible to upgrade a console every five to seven years. It needs to happen more often. You, Shahid, are both a player and a developer. What does this mean for you? Um, what, do you think this is a one-off or is this the new standard going forward? When it's the time for a PlayStation 5, we're going to get a PlayStation 5 Pro, we're going to get you know, an Xbox, whatever, uh, you know, new edition. Um, is, is our relationship with the consoles forever changed? So with just a new era? Or this is a problem for now, but it's, you know, it's not going to happen again? No, I, I think it's a permanent thing. And I, mm. I don't think consoles have changed their approach so much as understood that the pace of change has become so fast and continues to accelerate so much that the timescales that they're accustomed to have become compressed. In other words, the way I see it, it's an unusual view, I admit, is that PS4 Pro and Xbox Scorpio are actually, 
the next consoles in the cycle, but with backwards compatibility. And I think that what you'll see in the future is that the breaks, the big step changes, are breaking changes. In other words, we're about to introduce a console that will not have backwards compatibility. So that's what's changed. And I think they've recognized that. Two things. First of all, people don't pay a lot of money for hardware to play video games. They pay a lot of money for hardware to have better experiences because video games have not fundamentally changed in a very long time a very long time by technology standards so we're talking maybe 10 20 years new mechanics get introduced the visuals get better there is more depth um, things look more real we're pushing uncanny valley and so on but really video games are not enormously different hell we're playing a 35 year old game on an ios you know this on an ios device which is more powerful. I was looking at my iPhone 7 the other day and watching a rerun of Star Trek and I thought, this has got more computing power, never mind then their <laughs> communicators, but then their whole starship, you know, <laughs> it's just amazing. But here I am playing a 35-year-old game. So it's about it's about the quality of the experience and these, these step change consoles will deliver with existing games a better experience. So say you have just got a uh, an HD TV. It doesn't have 4K, it doesn't have HDR, but you can now play um, a game that you bought maybe two years ago at 60 frames per second. Well, that's fantastic. I'm going to want to do that. I'm going to play some of the older games again that were previously running at 30 frames. Now I can play them at 60 frames and that's going to be nice. And I'm going to think, well, you know, this is really good, but maybe I should buy a 4K TV. And then that opens the door for 4K content. So that's going to happen at some point. This is a new normal, but I don't think it's that the console manufacturers have changed. It's just that timelines for the entire world have become compressed. And the only difference between uh, the PS4 Pro and the Xbox Scorpio and previous generational updates is that the implicit um, marketing for these is that these are actually brand new consoles, but they're backwards compatible with the current generation. Yeah, you're giving me a lot to think about. Um, do, do you think, like, can we live with a, with compressed timelines forever? In the sense that how long can we keep it up? That there's a, you know, a new console every two years, a new standard for TV resolution every couple of years? Because I see people already talking about 8K, which is crazy. I don't even have a 4K TV. Um I know that the pace of change has never been faster, but I don't know. Uh, do do we need to slow down at some point <laughs> and enjoy what we've got? <laughs> exactly. No, no, I I don't think so. We are. Oh, okay. It's very interesting. I was listening to um, an audio book yesterday uh, by Kevin Kelly, who was the co-founding editor of Wired. And it was about some of the trends that he sees taking place in the coming years. And he, he talks about 12 of those trends. And the main trend he saw was that we are always at, the, at a new beginning. We never have time to simulate everything and we're always at a new beginning. And that people will look back in five or ten years' time and they will say that there was never a better time to start than in 2016. 
And it's funny because I think back to the time I started in video games and I think, yeah, that was a great time to start. But actually, for me, the best time to start in VR was last year. And then there will be new things coming up for which it's the best time to start for other generations. So the take up of devices that form the Internet of Things is going to change our lives. It's already started to change our lives. I note that you talk about the Amazon Echo a fair bit. Well, I do the same thing. And you've just reminded me to turn the mic off on my Echo <laughs> because I, <laughs> I could have accidentally don't, triggered don't it. Don't talk to it. Don't, don't call it right now. Don't it's, do it. <laughs> it's red now. So, you know, we're, we're now becoming surrounded by these devices and then there will be AI and AI will be absolutely everywhere. So I will no longer have to tell my Amazon Echo to turn the power off for certain devices in my shed as I leave because there will be a, a sensor on my door connected to the Internet of Things, connected to AI that knows that usually when I leave the shed at this time of the night, I'm not coming back and it mm -hmm. will therefore power things down intelligently. So this is all going to come. Is the pace of change relentless? Yes. Is it? Would it be a good thing for it to slow down? Well, I don't know if it's good or bad. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the the future that we have coming is going to continue to be relentless. And our ability to absorb the changes is no different from the situation we were faced with five or so years ago. The more important thing, I feel, is that do we have time to enjoy this? Are we giving ourselves time to enjoy where we are? Because we very much are in transitional times. Yeah. As far as mobile devices go, we probably hit peak satisfaction two or three years ago. And now we're just fiddling with dimensions. Once we went to a retina screen, call quality was good enough. Internet speed was fast enough. The apps were prolific enough and um, useful enough. My device does pretty much everything I want it to do. And now we're just fiddling with screen sizes and with touch sensors, just little bits of convenience here and there. But fundamental, fundamental innovations have done as much as it's possible. If my iPhone gets any slimmer, it's going to disappear. You know, so <laughs> it's done enough. It's done enough. I'm very, very happy with it. Yeah, the iPad Pro could get a little lighter. But is it really the end of the world if I have to carry two more ounces than the ideal? No, I don't think it is. So... Really, I think the pace of change is going to continue to be relentless. And we have to enjoy the ride as much as possible because it ain't over yet. There are lots of areas in technology, particularly in video games, where we have a long way to go. And therefore, we need that constant innovation. I mean, look at VR. At the moment, we have, um, on in the case of the PSVR, 960 across uh, by 1080 down in each eye. Well, for it to be really good, it needs to be 4K in each eye. It's not HDR. It needs to be HDR in each eye. It's running at 90 to 120 hertz. Well, really, you want it to run at 200 hertz, ideally 1,000 hertz. And then you want it to be wireless, but we don't have wireless tech. So all of this tech is going to carry on changing. We live in very transitional times. The world in 10 years' time will be completely unrecognizable. We just need to cling on by our fingernails and enjoy what we've got now because it's all going to be changed next year <laughs> that's uh i gotta gotta make a task in my to-do list and it's like enjoy what you have just <laughs> i feel like I, I i also get caught up in this 
sort of following w- what is going on, never having the time to actually sit down and enjoy things. So if I, you know, looking back, um, if I, if I, you know, just take a value from what happened in 2016 in terms of video games, that would be there's so much going on. So, you know, there's news every day. There's whether it's some kind of controversy or a teaser, a trailer, a review, an announcement. And I bought many games that I actually never finished, sometimes never even played. So I feel like we're going to get new consoles next year. We're going to get probably new TVs next year. I guess my takeaway is I agree with you. It's probably, there's, we're never going to stop at this point. We're on this train, on this bullet train. We're just going to go, go, go. Um, we're never going to stop. It's already actually best not to stop. But while we're going, I guess we can look out of the window and, and sort of take a moment to enjoy what, what we have. There's, I mean, think about it. We have so many great games. <laughs> and look at your collection right now. How many games didn't you finish at all? And, you know, it's every once in a while I like to take an old game and still play it or, you know, go back to a game that I never finished and uh, actually try to finish it. So it's good to download games, good to buy new games, but sometimes, you know, probably best to actually enjoy them. And I feel like next year, what I want to do is, besides buying, besides following what's new, I want to enjoy what I have. And, you know, hopefully... It'll work out. I know that I'm going to buy a Nintendo Switch. And I'm you know, probably going to buy PlayStation 4 Pro. But, you know, trying to make an effort to actually enjoy uh, those things as well. The, the hardest thing is, because, you know, I struggle with this myself. I'm well aware of what's going on, and yet I do struggle with it. The hardest part of it is that we have a brain that is wide up for life 100,000 years ago where the number of inputs going into our brain didn't vary an awful lot. And we are now alive at a time where the number of inputs going into our brain is actually impossible to cope with. And we are presented with a practically infinite cornucopia of choice, of beauty, of loveliness, of art, of books, of videos, of games, of music, of everything. And our biggest fear is we might not get to hear, play, see, or read the thing that might change our lives. All the while, not taking into account that our lives are made up of the moments that we're in and that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing and we should just enjoy that because we were never able to enjoy everything that life had to offer. That is the beauty and the tragedy of life that we only have so much time to enjoy the things that are here. And that has never changed. All that's changed is that now our eyes, ears, and all of our senses have become open to this this painfully beautiful tragedy that there is way more beauty, way more art than we will ever be able to appreciate in our lives, and it's flying past us at an impossible-to-process rate. 